Well, if you've got your Bibles, and I hope you do, uh, I'm going to invite you to go to the Gospel of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, uh, the third Gospel in the New Testament. We are going to be in Luke 4 this morning as we continue our sermon series, This Changes Everything. And, you know, as I was thinking about uh, this sermon series, uh, you know, we kind of went through uh, a lot of this content leading up to Christmas through the season of Advent. Uh, we are still in the uh, season, the church calendar season of Christmas. Uh, but if you're anything like me, Christmas has kind of come and gone. It's mostly in the rearview mirror, lights put away, wrapping paper cleaned up, you know, kind of all that good stuff. Hopefully your relatives have gone home. Uh, maybe you've still got some Christmas cookie remnants around. I don't know. Uh, we package it all up uh, pretty quickly after Christmas, um, which I think is actually kind of a metaphor for how we deal with Jesus, too. Uh, we, we like to celebrate Christmas. We like to celebrate God coming into the world of the person of Jesus, who we have been calling the greatest gift this world has ever seen. But then we move on pretty fast. We move on to the next thing. And, of course, all of us are, have moved on to a new year, uh, 2023. And so as we think about 2023, um, I want to just continue to look back a little bit and consider the many, many ways in which Jesus has changed everything uh, in this world. Um, he makes all things new. As Jeff has talked about at the top of the service, he makes things new. He makes us new. And he has made the world new. And as we think about Jesus coming into the world and making a way for us to be in relationship with God, he also has transformed our culture, our community, and our society. And much like Christmas, I think we oftentimes move on to the next thing. And so what we're doing for these several weeks is we're really looking at not just the ways in which Jesus has made a way spiritually, relationally for us to be uh, connected to God, but also the ways in which he's changed our society, our culture, and many ways that I think we just take for granted today. Things that everybody's just like, well, it's always been this way. The truth is things have not always been this way. The way things are today, in so many ways, the good things are because Jesus and his teachings, the ways in which his teachings inspired the church, the Christians, the devout followers of Jesus to implement and change things in the world in very practical, tangible, even concrete ways. Sometimes we think that being a follower of Jesus is just about that spiritual relationship with God, and, and certainly that's true but there are very practical, tangible ways in which Jesus has made things new. And so we spent a couple uh, weeks talking about some of these things, things like education and learning, things like uh, heal, uh, healing, healthcare, hospitals, things like power systems, systems of government, systems where uh, some people leverage power over other people. And today we're going to talk about this idea of slavery. Slavery simply defined, I'll just say, as forced labor. In Luke 4 now, uh, I'm going to invite us to bow our heads and have a word of prayer. God, we thank you uh, that you have indeed made all things new. 
You're sending the greatest gift this world has ever known. And God, we just continue to marvel at all the ways in which you have transformed our societies. You've transformed this world. And God, you have transformed us. And so, Lord, as we reflect on your word this morning, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable. For you are indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I first learned about slavery, I'll say in a meaningful way, back in 1977. In fact, some of you might even remember back in 1977, January 23rd, the miniseries on television was Roots. I was eight years old. That was 46 years ago. And I remember it so well. The Nielsen television ratings, they tell us that 140 million Americans tuned in, about half the population of the United States over those eight days. Every evening for about eight days, many of us tuned in for an hour, sometimes two hours, to watch the Roots series. They say that about 85% of all television households in America watch some or all the miniseries. I'll bet you a lot of you remember the Roots miniseries. It was a big deal. And I think about why was Roots such a big deal? Why is it that I can say to you today the names Kunta Kinte, Kizzy, or Chicken George? And you know exactly what I'm talking about. I think a couple reasons. Number one, I think the, the, the writers of this television miniseries did such an incredible job of inviting us, the viewers, into the harsh realities of colonial slavery in America. The ways in which it broke up families. The ways in which people were tortured I remember watching and seeing and thinking to myself, how is this possible that they could hang people from a tree and watching all the horrors and the terrible things that happened during American colonial slavery? How could this happen? And the writers of the show, I just think, did such a wonderful job in to understanding the humanity of those people who were forced against their will to come to this land, to the American colonies, slave labor. But I think the other reason why Roots resonated with so many of us, with the American culture, because the ways in which we have been so removed from slavery. For most of us, I think probably all of us, we think about slavery as something, well, that was a long time ago, that doesn't happen today. And I think we're so removed from human slavery that it takes us to tune into television to really understand all that's going on. But the truth is, slavery has been around for a long, long time. For thousands of years, slavery, human slavery was the norm. Long before anybody showed up in the American colonies. Slavery was just normal. It was part of human society. Nobody was shocked by human slavery. It's just the way 
it was. Aristotle, Greek philosopher, said this, slavery is the natural order of humanity. It's just normal. There were just slaves everywhere in practically every culture and society. The ancient Rome, Roman culture, the Muslim world, the Ottoman Empire, I mean the Crimean Canate, uh, to name a few, the Barbary uh, Coast, the Qing Dynasty, India, Egypt, Ireland. My wife and I are watching the Viking series right now on the Discovery Channel. Everywhere, slavery has been just kind of a normal part of society. Even here in the United States, long before the explorers showed up, American indigenous Indians were practicing slavery. It's just been a normal part of our society. I ran across a, a, a historian, a slavery researcher, a woman by the name of Christina Snyder, and this is what she writes. Bonds people, slavery, composed 10 to 70% of the population of most societies. It's just normal. And depending on where you lived, anywhere between 10 and 70% of the population. So along comes Jesus in the first century. And according to the Oxford Encyclopedia, about 40% of the world were slaves. And in Jesus' region in the Roman Empire, about 50% of the people lived under slavery. It's just normal. It's just how people live. Some people owned slaves and other people were slaves. They were forced against their will to do labor. So Jesus comes onto the scene and early on in his ministry, as he begins to teach, he walks into a house of prayer, a house of worship, and Luke records his, conversa uh, his teaching for that day. Luke 4 goes this way. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind. To set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And I would imagine on that day when he preached that sermon, there was dead silence, there was shock, what in the world is this guy talking about? But I would also imagine some, there were some people amongst the, the congregation that day that were probably giggling or snickering inside because the things he was saying were laughable. They were absolutely impossible. Who is this guy, this carpenter-turned-rabbi, this, this workman-turned-teacher to proclaim freedom? Because up until this time, millions of people had experienced slavery. 
Millions of people, no one had ever successfully been able to abolish slavery. So what Jesus was teaching was something completely brand new. He was preaching freedom for those who were enslaved, those who were in bondage. And what he was doing on that day is he was planting seeds of hope. Hope especially for those who were enslaved. And as time went on, Jesus went to the cross. He rose from the grave and the church began to form. And as the church formed, they started to ask one another, what does it mean for us to be followers of Jesus Christ, to be obedient to his teachings? How do we do this? What does it mean? And pretty soon, lots and lots of examples and stories started to arise of how people lived into Jesus' teachings. One of the teachings, one of the stories, this guy who was a slave, his name was Onesimus, and he had escaped from his slave owner, owner Philemon. And when he had escaped, somehow he made it to his, to his way to, to Paul, the Apostle Paul. Paul was in jail, so we don't exactly know all the details. But he showed up to Paul. I, I can about imagine. He's like, Paul, help me out here. I've escaped from my slave owner. I don't know what to do. So Paul wrote a letter to Philemon, to a slave owner, to help him, to guide him in what to do. And this is what Paul wrote in this letter. He says, I am sending him, Onesimus, who is near my heart, back to you, Philemon, I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. Paul is literally um, in jail, but I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while so it was so that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave but better than a slave as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man, as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. That's the letter Paul wrote to Philemon. Welcome this slave as a brother in Christ, as you would welcome me. And this letter made it into the New Testament. As a letter... It's all about what do we do with slaves? How do we treat people who are enslaved in bondage? And so Christians wrestled with this for hundreds of years. I mean, again, slavery was such a big institution, nobody could ever imagine that someday slavery would be abolished. It was just too much a part of the fabric of their lives, of their worldview. One of the first instances of slavery, people really coming to terms with it, was not until about 1688. A group of Protestant Quakers in England, a guy by the name of George Fox. You maybe have heard the Quakers. Who were the Quakers? They were devout followers of Jesus who took the words of Jesus really seriously and they wrestled with them. And one of the things the Quakers did is they read the Bible over and over and over is they began to see that Jesus had words for them, for our society there in England. 
for how they were to live and treat one another. And the great sermon that Jesus preached, though, of course, we know as, as the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus spoke these words, do to others what you would have them do to you. And this just convicted the Quakers. What does it mean to do to others that we would like other people to do to us? And they looked at the massive slave trade all around them, and they became very convicted, and so they started writing all sorts of articles and literature. And it spread all around England, and they would send it over to the American colonies, saying, we have got to get rid of slavery. We need to abolish slavery. And like so many other things, it didn't happen right away. In fact, the Quakers continue to write this anti-slavery literature for about 150 years as a way to convince not only the church, but society that slavery is evil. Something needs to happen. So about 150 years later, a guy comes on the scene, a guy by the name of William Wil Wilberforce. And what you need to know about William Wilberforce is that he was not a good man. William Wilberforce was not even a humanitarian William Wilberforce did not care about slaves. He was a politician. And everybody go, S -s -s, right? I mean, William Wilberforce was all about himself. He only cared about his own personal power. And so he got really involved in, in British politics. And as this went along, one day William Wilberforce met Jesus. He surrendered his life. And it changed everything. When he became a follower of Jesus, he became, began to see the evils of slavery. And in his book, Real Christianity, he describes slavery as something so evil that he needed, he felt compelled because of his relationship with Jesus to abolish slavery. And this is what William Wilberforce did for the next 25 years of his life as he fought in the House of Commons over and over and over. We've got to get rid of the institution of slavery. And slavery was big money. And so he was fighting against all the power of English, uh, the, the English colonies and all that was going on. But three days before he died, he got word that the House of Commons finally passed a law abolishing slavery slavery. 1833. And it had huge ramifications for the world. By the way, one of his pastors that he encountered along the way was a slave trader, a guy by the name of John Newton, who also met Jesus. And when he met Jesus, he too saw the evils of slavery. And he wrote a hymn acknowledging what a horrible person he was, the ways in which he treated other people so inhumanely. We, of course, know this hymn is Amazing Grace. A former slave trader surrendered his life to Jesus and became a pastor, and he too dedicated the rest of his life to the abolition of slavery. Now, it's really important that we understand this idea of William Wilberforce and how all this kind of, this momentum around abolishing slavery began in England because in that time, the British Empire was the largest empire the world had ever known. 
The British Empire controlled 25% of the global population and about 24% of the land. So when slavery was outlawed in England, it wasn't just in England, it was in all the British colonies. And that created an incredible amount of momentum all around the world. In 1833, a movement began in the United States, in Philadelphia. 1833, same year that the House of Commons abolished slavery. Not a coincidence. See, this is the ripple effects that, that Wilberforce created in the world. And there was this group that got, they gathered together, the American Anti-Slavery Society. The, the American Anti-Slavery Society, they were not a group of humanitarians. They were not a group of do-gooders. They were not a, a group of social justice warriors. They were a group of Christians. They were absolutely devout followers of Jesus Christ. In fact, among this group of the 150 of them, 111, 110 were pastors, ministers of the gospel. So the first movement in the United States to abolish slavery came from Christians. People were so convicted in their faith that they said, we have got to do something different. In fact, this is what they wrote in their charter. We believe and affirm that every American who retains a slave is, according to Scripture, a man-stealer. And this went on. And the Christians, the Jesus followers, continued to be inspired by the teachings of Jesus and they became so convicted, we have got to do something about this. Perhaps one of the more famous or well-known uh, American abolitionists is a guy by the name of Elijah Lovejoy. He lived in Alton, Illinois, of all places, just outside of St. Louis. And he was a newspaper editor. And he was a pastor. And so what he started doing is writing newspaper articles and printing all this literature saying, we've got to get rid of slavery. And the people didn't like it in the community. So what they would do is they would come in three times. They came into his printing press shop and they would break up all his gear and get rid of it. And, and they kept threatening him over and over and over. And so this is what Elijah Lovejoy writes. I am governed by higher considerations than the favor or fear of man. I am impelled to the course I have taken because I fear God. The next time they broke into his printing shop, they shot him five times with a shotgun. And then they burned his entire printing press. And he actually became the first martyr in the name of the abolition of slavery in the United States or maybe one of the better well-known people. This is just four years after Wilberforce began this momentum and it continued to go and it continued to crescendo. But I think for most of us, certainly for me, the abolition of slavery did not happen fast enough. But his martyrdom inspired this movement of abolitionists, Christians, to say we cannot handle this anymore. This is not okay. Until January 1st, 1863, President Abraham Lincoln proclaimed the Emancipation Proclamation. That's 160 years ago today. 
You know, on the one hand, isn't that just wild that slavery has only been abolished 160 years? It seems like it's been gone forever and ever. But in the grand scheme of history, it's just a small slice of human history where we live in a society where we celebrate freedom. And we actually think freedom is the norm, don't we? We think freedom is what everyone should experience. It's so different than how most people have lived throughout human history. And there were escaped slaves along the way. Frederick Douglass, Harriet Tubman. They could have spent the rest of their lives bitter, angry that they were slaves. But they were Jesus followers. And they too felt compelled to do something about the slave trade. And so risking their own lives, they traveled back south with the Underground Railroad and helped other people experience freedom. And there's another woman by the name of Harriet Beecher Stowe, Uncle Tom's Cabin. She wasn't a humanitarian. She was a Jesus follower. This is who these people were over and over and over. In all all my research this week, I I couldn't find any non-Christians in the secular literature who were not front and center a part of the abolition movement. It was the Christians over and over and over saying, this has got to stop because of the words of Jesus. And so things, times have changed. What began with Wilberforce in England in 1833, the United States... 1865. China did not experience the abolition of slavery until 1910. Ethiopia, 1942. Saudi Arabia and the Arabian Peninsula, the 1960s. That's how recent slavery has been practiced in our world. And most nations now have some kind of anti-slavery rules on their books. But the truth is, there is still slavery in the world today. I found uh, an arm of the uh, United States State Department, the Voice of America. They estimate that there are almost 46 million slaves today, which is a lot. We've got about 8 billion people on the planet. I think 46 million is still too many slaves. And so our work isn't done Our work is not done, Jesus followers. But I also don't want us to forget, how in the world did we get from a place in time and a culture where people said slavery is just so common? It's just the way things are. It's the natural order of humanity to this place of how could this have happened? Where people are absolutely, I was absolutely shocked when I watched Roots. I just just think that freedom, everybody ought to experience freedom. Where does that come from? It comes from Jesus. It comes from his church. It comes from people who have committed and dedicated their lives so that all people could experience freedom. See, the gap between Aristotle and where we're at today, there's one man in the middle and his name is Jesus. And when he came along, he walked into this house of worship and said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to set the oppressed free. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is what Jesus' teachings have done. They have changed 
everything in our society. This is why we consider Jesus the greatest gift the world has ever known. Because he has even been instrumental in, the abolish, in abolishing slavery. And think about it. If Jesus had never come, there would be no Christians. And if there were no Christians, we would have slavery today. According to this one researcher, somewhere between 10 and 70% of us would be slaves. I think that's good news. And I would love to just be able to, you know, close out the sermon and, and everybody high five. Yay, Jesus wins. Yay, Jesus has freed us, freed the world from slavery. But we got work to do. There are more slaves in this world. There are still people that are enslaved. And one other thing I want you to hear. I think all of us at some level are enslaved. I mean, if we're honest, all of us have slavery in our lives. Some of you are enslaved by addictions. Some of you are enslaved by financial habits. Some of you are enslaved in unhealthy relationships. Some of you are enslaved in your jobs. Some of you are enslaved in your hobbies. Some of you are enslaved on social media. Some of you are enslaved with other people's expectations on you. Some of you are enslaved by all the worldly expectations you lay on yourself. Have I offended everyone at this point in time? I mean, slavery is just not out there, right? It's, it's right here. It's right here. Jesus has come to set us free, folks. Here we are at the beginning of 2023, and we're still enslaved. So I want to read to you the words of the Apostle Paul from Galatians 5. Paul writes this to the church. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Paul nails it, doesn't he? He says, you've been set free. Don't go back to slavery. And yet that's what we do. So as we begin 2023, I just want to invite you to bow your heads and we pray to God that he sets us free in those ways that we have been enslaved. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your teachings. We thank you, God, for coming into this world, as Paul says, to set people free. And yet, God, on the one hand, you have changed the culture, you have changed the world through the Christians, through the church, so that slavery is no longer the norm, just the way it is. But the slavery today, we are shocked and outraged, and we believe it's wrong. So God, thank you for that transformation in our society and in the world. Yet, God, I just want to bring it real close to home. So many of us, all of us, God, 
are enslaved in some way in our own lives. So God, we pray that you would come to us, meet us, and convict us the ways in which we are enslaved and you long for us to be set free. God, it's easy to be hopeful, to look ahead with great expectation. But the truth is, God, it's so easy for us just to keep on keeping on, continue in our bondage, continue in our slavery because it's familiar, because we know it. And sometimes, God, we just, we sit in a dirty diaper, sin, slavery, bondage. Set us free, God. Set us free from those ways in which each one of us are enslaved. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer.